Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Ramiumptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called A Where Will You Go Interview. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of the podcast. About a month ago, Marty over at the Where Will You Go podcast, also under the Mormon Discussions podcast umbrella family. So she's uh, she's one of the sister podcasts of mine. She invited me on to her show to ask me a series of questions about me and about the podcast. And I wanted to share that with all of you as well. So for those that are subscribed to Marty over there at Where Will You Go? You will have already heard this. If not, this will be new content for you. If you're not already following her, be sure to head over to Where Will You Go and give Marty a follow and a listen and support the work that she's doing over there. She's got a fantastic podcast, so make sure you're supporting her as well. So we're just going to jump right in. Welcome, everybody. Our guest today is Scott from Ramiumptum Ruminations, which is another... Um, it's another, I don't know, podcast under the Mormon Discussions umbrella. I thought it'd be fun to get to know you and see what your podcast is all about. Yeah, I appreciate benefit. the invite to have a chat. I'm excited. All right. So the first, the thing I wanted was like your background. Like, what is your two-minute Mormon story? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to condense it. So maybe <laughs> not full sentences, but in two minutes. Okay, let's, um, <clears throat> born and raised LDS. Um, scrupulosity, really bad depression, um, married young, you know, the regular Mormon upbringing, um, became a gospel doctrine treat teacher, studied as much as I could to be prepared for that and slowly lost my testimony. My wife is still an active believing member. And so we're doing the mixed faith marriage thing. So, you know, she takes the kids to church and some weeks she leaves them with me, just kind of depending on what's going on. But uh, yeah, that's that's my two minute, maybe even less, yeah. moment story. Um, you know, I skipped over a lot of trauma and hardship through those years. Um, but yeah, it, my story is very similar to many other stories that people have have shared. So sure, similar in a lot of ways, and then your own thing for whatever the thing is, right? Yeah. Uh, so would you? What kind of timeline? Uh, so I guess from when did you feel like there was nothing wrong or have you always felt like there was something wrong or when was like, yeah. that? is there any oh. catalyst moments and can you give a timeline for those things? There were a couple of catalyst moments. I feel like as an adult, I slowly was, um, getting rid of beliefs, but without really recognizing what was happening. A big catalyst moment was after playing in Dungeons and Dragons with one of my closest friends, we would have these after game chats and he was also deconstructing Mormonism. We were having a conversation one late evening at his house and uh, I, we were talking about the Tower of Babel and I was you know, making the point that, hey, you know, it's not a historical event. You know, how could the Old Testament treat it like that? And my friend looks at me, he's like, the Book of Mormon treats it like a historical event as well. 
And that moment shattered my belief in the Book of Mormon and everything quickly collapsed. Oh, it was like that next day, I no longer believed in anything. It was so, pretty quick. So that's interesting. So you were okay with the Bible being like inaccurate mm -hmm. in that it was just parables, just stories. Yep. But the Book of Mormon was different. It couldn't be that same. And that makes sense. I understand. Yeah. That, I understand why, but. Well, it's we grow up. up learning that the Bible is not yes. perfect, right? Yeah, we grow up learning that, you know, through translation errors, it's this or that. But we're taught that the Book of Mormon is a literally true and the the keystone of our religion. And if suddenly this keystone is presenting um, things as fact, as history that didn't really happen, it's very problematic. Yeah, okay. At least so, it was for me. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense to me. Okay, tell me about your podcast. Uh, how, yeah. did, how did it come to be? Why are you podcasting? And and then I guess let's start there. Why are you podcasting? Like what brought It that started up? out because I already had all the podcasting gear and I would take so much of my wife's time just talking about this or that element of the faith. And she got to a point where she just didn't want to listen anymore. And I just had so much more that I wanted to say. And so I just, I made a couple of episodes and reached out to Bill Real and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you mind giving him a listen and seeing if you, if you think I've got something here? And he invited me to be part of the, the brand. Okay. And when, when was that? That was, that was during COVID. I think I started in 2021. And so I had been considering starting the end of 2020. Um, made a couple of episodes and shot them out to Bill and we started working together and um, I launched in June of 2021. Okay. And then what was the timeline from it, your quick collapse there <laughs> and then, and then starting the podcast, how much time was between those two times? Um, about, about three years, two and a half years kind of in that ballpark. Oh, wow. So you'd already been out for three years mm -hmm. before you even started the podcast. Well, it's, I was physically in, mentally out, you know, as they say on the forums, you know, PMO. Yes. Um, and I just was kind of slowly fading into the background. Um, it was before COVID started. When COVID hit, I, I kind of told my wife, I, I don't think I can go back anymore because at that, I had already deconstructed a lot and was no longer believing. And when that happened and they weren't having in-person church, I just, I just knew that I could never go back. Mm -hmm. I could never as a non-believer, step back into that world after stepping away from it. After COVID. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So, and, and what, um, what do you think made you want to, like, I don't know how to word this. First, let's, let me ask you, like, what are you podcasting about? And like, what, how did it start? Has it mm -hmm. changed? Like, um, the tone has stayed mostly the same. I try and reach out to an audience that is like a newly questioning person, somebody who might be fully in or believing in most of the core truth claims of the church, but has a question or two that they can't pose in their Sunday school class or they couldn't tell their spouse or their friends mm -hmm. about without any repercussions. So I try to, uh, I try and cater the way I talk about any of the issues that I bring up as a safe, um, a safe podcast for a newly doubting person to engage with. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be too critical. I'm not going to be too harsh. 
um, I try and, you know, I'll push boundaries, obviously, where I think um, they need to be pressed, but I try to allow space for belief. And even sometimes I'll recommend, you know, hey, this part doesn't make sense, but you might be able to think about it this way. And those recommendations are usually nuanced and, and wouldn't fly in church, you know, wouldn't be a passable um, analysis of doctrine. But for somebody who's trying to make it work, I, I, I try to be as fair as I can for that type of a listener. Hmm. Do you ever, are you, are you holding back for your listeners or do you feel like you're like talking from a pretty genuine place? <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm an amiable guy in my own life. I don't like conflict and I kind of let people live their lives however they want. Um, as long as they're not hurting somebody else. And for me, that's kind of the way my wife and I um, have our relationship where she's still active believing and we are okay and accepting of each other, even though we disagree with what the other person believes. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I feel like it's a genuine place. Um, I do hold back though. So I don't, it's so rare that I'll actually share like what I truly think about an opinion. Sometimes I'll say it, but I'll couch it as like, here's how some people think of this or Here how, here's how some people think of that. And I'll present like both sides of a subject where one of those sides is what I think and the other side is you know, hypothetically what my spouse would think. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so you said the thing that made you decide at the beginning to do content were things that you were already wanting to talk about. Are you still feeling that way? Like, does it still interest you like that? Like it did in the beginning or have you like faded out of interest? Does that make sense uh, what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, of course, when you start out, you've got all these like cool ideas. You're like, oh, I want to discuss this or that. Um, I keep thinking next month I'm going to run out of ideas, but I don't. So <laughs> so right now I'm thinking I don't know what I'm going to talk about in September. This is we're doing this recording in uh, July 26th of 2023. And uh, in my head right now, I've got four or five episodes that I could do and I'm thinking, okay, when September rolls around, I have no idea what I'm going to publish. But it always, when it does, things have been come up in the news, or I've read a different, you know, a book that made me think of um, you know, some doctrine in a new way. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of where I, I don't know, things just come; they just happen. Okay, I mean, this might be a little bit more personal of a question. Like, do you picture <laughs> you doing? Like, I, I guess part of me is asking for myself. Like, sure. do you picture you your I heard John Dillon say one time that people don't hang in there and they don't last very long. And I've kind of, I feel like that's not a bad thing for that individual because mm -hmm. eventually I think the gold star of like where I would want to be is to move on and not care anymore. I think you being in a mixed faith marriage, it's always <laughs> going to be a part of your life. But sure. even then, I guess I would hope for someone even that's PMO that they could find some kind of balance where they don't need I guess the support anymore where they mm -hmm. are more, does that? I well, get it. Yeah. Those, those are a lot of scatterbrained thoughts, but anyway, I'm just picturing if, if you are, you feel like it's changed over time, like you're feeling more comfortable with where you're at or. Yeah. I um, want to be. I mm -hmm. I've always got things to say. I, I try and discuss subjects that I find personally interesting. Um, so that keeps me interested in what I'm doing. But I'm not, I'm not opposed to the idea of eventually, you know, hanging up the microphone and, and being done with this. Um, I don't know when that would happen. And, um, but I mean, 
I don't know who I'm going to be in 10 years. And so, you know, 10 years yeah. from now, I don't know if that person will want to continue podcasting. Right. Yeah. So what, um, um, I feel like, do you, are you ever afraid of audience capture? Like, are you ever <laughs> afraid that you're going to keep wanting to podcast because you're being, uh, financially supported in that way or, you know, like audience capture anything to prevent it. What sure do you even think about it? I, a little bit sometimes, I mean, I don't have access. I mean, Bill, Bill tells us what our downloads are, but I almost never ask him. So I, I almost never know. I mean, I'll see on the YouTube page how many views I've got, but for the podcast, it's like once a quarter, sometimes even like every six months, I'll be like, Hey, how have my downloads been? And he'll, he'll let me know. And then I'll just get back to it. I tend to just talk about whatever interests me and just kind of put my head down. I'm in my little cave and, and, you know, speaking into a can and it's honestly, it's just as much for me to process as it is to put it out for other people. And I yeah. get people reaching out. I get messages from people that appreciate what I'm doing. And so that, that obviously does um, encourage me to keep going. So. Yeah, I can, I can sense that too. I remember there were some, there were certain rabbit holes I went down where I found cool sources or a cool, a series of sources and I was like man this would be helpful to other people if I could mm. collect this and share it with people so I can see that too like you're already doing the work of kind of going into something and learning about something why not mm -hmm. share it yeah yeah but I think sometimes going through that effort of finding your own sources can be better than just consuming too so yeah well I tend to in my episodes I tend to try and um I'll do sources you know and I'll talk about the things like that. But a lot of the times what I try and do is bring a subject that has maybe been addressed on a recent Mormonism live or been talked about in, you know, one of John DeLynn's podcasts, and I'll try and break it down. And so I'll, I'll talk through the points and what the implications of such a belief are, and then try and help a listener come to terms with, do I really want to hold on to this belief? Or is it just not worth keeping at all? And so I try to maybe be a supplement to some of the other discussions instead of diving deep. I try to encourage people to think critically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, does anything give you pause about producing your podcast? Like, does anything, do you ever go, maybe I am giving people ideas that aren't very good ideas or I don't know. Like, do you ever have some, uh, worry that, uh, that you're spreading a virus? <laughs> <laughs> I no, I, I get it. I actually had a recent commenter on one of my episodes accuse me of being anti-Mormon and an antagonist to the church. And I, I've got an outline. I'm going to actually got a, a response that I'm going to post to this comment. But in my head, I think there's a clear line between antagonism and criticism. And I tried to stay as close as I can to the criticism side instead of the antagonism side. So anything that I've said that to give pause, I don't, I don't think that I have said anything in my entire podcast that would be anti-Mormon. Um, but I have said some very critical things, never mm -hmm. encouraged people to leave. I've never said that the church needs to burn to the ground and go away forever, but I've encouraged people to think critically about their beliefs and make informed decisions about them. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not worried about anything I've said. Okay. Uh, you're saying that you've thought about that line between antagonism yeah. and critic. What would that, what can you give me either an example or how you, how you decide? Well, I think, I think it goes to intent and I think it goes to what both your intent and what you're trying to accomplish. 
So for me, I'm not trying to tear down anyone's faith. I'm trying to encourage critical thought. Um, and I, my objective isn't to you know, make the church disappear. So none of my goals, none of the goals that I've set and none of the motives that I put in place um, are to end the institution or bring the institution to its knees and, and crush it or destroy, you know, have it like be gone from the, the planet. My goal is to help people think critically and make informed decisions. Now that that can be painful. Criticism is not easy. You know, we all get criticized and it's super uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's antagonism. Mm -hmm. um, this is a loaded question. I don't sure. even know if I put it in the list that <laughs> I sent you. Uh, do you think that the organization is a net good or a net negative for humanity, I guess? Yeah, I... <laughs> Man, this is a tough question. I feel like on a local congregational level, it's a net good. Now, on an individual basis, that could be a yes or a no. You know, on somebody's own personal lived experience, that could be a very different conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does a great job of building communities. I think it does a great job of helping people feel welcome in a new town and having an instant in group or tribe, um, I think on a local level, it has real potential to do good things for its community. And and my and maybe I'm speaking anecdotally from my personal experience. I have been uh, a part of a great number of wards that had great people in them that served the com the communities that were in, not just the members but also the homeless communities here in our town. Um, I feel like there's great potential for it to have a net positive, but <laughs> I'm going to couch that in a, a big, but, okay. Um, I think as a whole, the institution has some significant problems that it needs to address. If the institution wants to be a healthy organization, whether that's talking about um, the LGBTQ plus community, whether that's talking about um, the role of women in the institution, I think there are some, major changes that need to happen for it as a whole to be a net positive. Um, so yes, yeah. I guess I'd, I'd like to add to that and just say, like, I think there's some things they need to address if they're going to even survive, you know, like period. 100%. Yeah. yeah. They don't, I don't see if they continue on course, I don't see them surviving another three generations. Well, on course is an interesting thing because on course is changing all the time. Sure. In my opinion. And mm -hmm. so, um, but if they're 50 they years will. behind I the LGBTQ plus community, they're going to become irrelevant within two or three generations. Yeah. Maybe things are moving faster now than they were, um, 50 years ago. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So, um, you already answered that one. How often do you do episodes and how long are they? What kind of format are they in? So I, oops, bumped my table. Uh, I typically do, I try to do an episode a week. I'll publish between 45 and 50 episodes a year. Um, so I, I try and put out a, a good amount of content every year. Um, I shoot for between 20 to 30 minutes in the episode, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. The interviews definitely go longer. Um, and then the format of the episodes, I'll try to stick on a subject for a couple of weeks and talk about one subject from a couple of different angles over the course of a few weeks 
And then at the end of maybe three or four weeks, I'll read a couple of comments from listeners as they've chimed in on the different subjects that we're discussing. Oh, and so then on your follow-up episode, you might integrate some yep. comments from your viewership. That's cool. Yeah, so, and it's a lot of fun. I, yeah. I really enjoy that sort of uh, interaction. Okay. So uh, I guess you have two kinds in. So you have kind of your produced ones then that are those 20-minute mm -hmm. ones, and then you have some interview ones. Yeah. And how many interviews have you done? Do you like that? Or is it just a little bit different animal? You just do it. Yeah, I enjoy interviews. Um but I, I don't want to be Mormon stories. And so when I bring someone on, I try to make sure that they've got like a really interesting thing to say or something that um, an experience that would lend itself to further discussion. So we'll have the interview and then maybe two or three weeks later, I'm still discussing some of the things that we talked about. So um, I'm kind of picky with the people that I'll bring on the show, but at the same time, like most stories have interesting elements to them. So yeah. You know, if, you have, if you have a great story out there, you know, please reach out. I'm, I'm always looking for people to interview. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm going more for um, a Marty Rogan uh, experience. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, that's what they're turning into. I don't mean to go like, I, I just released one that was like two. And then I was kind of going through and I'm like, a lot of them go way more than an hour. I try to go, I try to shoot for an hour and then they all go over, but Anyways, that's all right. People can stop listening. I don't care. Sure. Um, okay. So, uh, what's like the most positive feedback that you've gotten that you, that sticks out to you? <laughs> I get the most consistent thing that people say to me that's positive is they say they love my voice. So I hope that people like what I'm saying too, but, uh, most consistently people will say, wow, you have such a nice voice. I could just fall asleep to it. And so. <laughs> If that's all it's good for, I, I wish you sweet dreams and I'll see you in the morning. Well, that's great. So that's funny because as I was like thinking about this interview coming up, I was like, I need to mention how awesome his voice is. That's great. <laughs> so that's, that was something I was going to say too. So, all right. So what's the most negative feedback or that has stuck out to you? I guess you, you've already covered one, but is what's the one that stings the most get... or makes you wonder... <laughs> that put you on your back feet. I don't, I don't take a lot of the negative comments personally, or at least I try not sure. to. Um, people don't usually attack me personally in them. Sometimes people take issue with some of the stances I hold, or maybe a comment that I said here or there. Um, I do get, since I'm trying to cater to a more um, believing or newly questioning audience, sometimes I'll get like ex Mormons that maybe stumble on my, my show for the first time or, whatever the, whatever it is. And they'll be really frustrated with me that I didn't push a thought all the way to a conclusion of, you know, you need to leave the church. So they'll, they'll say, Hey, you're being too lenient. You're being too nice to the institution. And the response that I have always said to, to this listener, you know, whoever it is, because I do get that, that sort of a comment pretty regularly, is I tell them that they're not the target audience. I'm not trying to reach someone who has already deconstructed my show is for someone who is newly doubting or maybe they believe in most everything and they believed in most everything for a long time but there's a thing or two that they really don't like and they don't have a safe place to um, engage with the the religion and then um with a lot of integrity um where in 
it, when they go to church, they can't talk openly about their ideas or what they disagree with or what they agree with. And I, I feel like I've created an audience of both believers and non-believers. And so I get people that reach out to me pretty regularly, appreciative of the things that I'm putting out um, from both ends of the spectrum. So okay. um, anyway, yeah. All right. So speaking of that, like, do you, do you find you agree with those comments to a certain extent or do you find you like you really feel like you're kind of in the middle still like this oh. before you answer I, mm -hmm. let me that's so rude i'm a terrible interviewer no 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 you're good okay. you got this <laughs> so the reason i say that is because when i first left i went through this phase where i'm like i'm leaving but i'm gonna be nice and then i totally went through like pissed phase right and then <laughs> i've actually kind of climbed back out and i am and i feel like in a pretty stable like I'm, I'm really i'm actually really cool with people staying like i mm -hmm. actually genuinely don't feel that so i'm just curious if you genuinely feel like you're there or back if, to that well I, i'll i'll relate it back to my wife like if i truly love her i have to allow her autonomy over her own beliefs and the decisions that she's making and so um, my personal situation has kind of forced me into that sort of a mindset um, that being said, a lot of these, you know, the comments that are saying, hey, you didn't push this idea, you know, to the nth degree, or, you know, you didn't criticize this part of the institution when you were talking about this or that. And oftentimes those are thoughts, what they're bringing up are genuine ideas that or beliefs that I hold about the church, mm -hmm. but they're not helpful. If one of the, one of the things that I, one of the things that I noticed in a lot of other um, spaces within this, you know, post-Mormon or deconstructing Mormon community is that um, a newly doubting person is really put off by someone that's very critical mm -hmm. or um, maybe even, you know, jumping to those conclusions and saying, hey, you know, Joseph Smith was a pedophile, you know. So if I came onto the show talking like that, I wouldn't be grasping and retaining um, listeners that are newly doubting because it's so too offensive for them. Sure. I would, I have a couple of thoughts. One is sure. the certainty is what turns anybody off, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but then I was also kind of thinking is you don't feel like deceptive in that way, like where you feel kind of one way, but you don't want to scare away people that potentially might like get to the place that other person <laughs> is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I get it. I, I don't say anything I don't believe. I just mm -hmm. try to couch my language. Okay. Um, in a way where it would be more approachable for someone who disagrees with me. No, that's totally fair. You're right. Like I, I get in conversations with people that I, I disagree with. Um, and I talk to them differently than when I'm with someone that I know agrees with me for sure. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. My, my knee jerk reactions are, would probably appall almost all of the listeners that I have, <laughs> but I do couch them. So you're right. Yeah. Everyone does well, that probably to a certain extent when mm -hmm. they're public too. Right. Exactly. And yeah. one of my best personal friends, he and I have like really dark sense of humor, but we can only joke with each other <laughs> because the minute we start joking with other people, it's like super awkward. Nobody else is laughing. So it's it, for me, it's that same sort of idea where you know you got to know your audience and mm -hmm. speak to your audience. Yeah. And how I, I have knee jerk reactions, but then I almost immediately say, oh, calm down. Like, so there's kind of like this split personality that I have going on. Yep. It's probably not, I don't know. It is, is the way it is, I guess. Um, uh, how do you feel about in general, all this post-Mormon content? Like, I feel like 
naturally people kind of move away from it. Mm-hmm. But um, I also think, I wonder, um, no judgment, anyone listening, but sure. I wonder if some people listen too long or stay obsessed too long. Like, like mm. the, the need for the content is created by listening to the content almost. Sure. Uh, and so I, yeah. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, do you feel like people should move past it eventually? <laughs> I, that's such a tough question. I feel like that's something on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the church can baptize somebody with teaching them for three weeks and then throw dunk them in the water and they're suddenly a member, I don't think it takes, it should take more than three weeks to, to ditch the entire belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't require more to leave than it does to get in. And that's, um, that being said, I feel like the people that stick around in this community are those that either loved it or it meant so much to them personally. And um, giving it up is um, genuinely hard. For me, I just have this fascination with the theology and with the history, and I just love talking about it. And maybe maybe part of that is that I loved the church so much as a member that now I just just can't get rid of that aspect of my life. Yeah, I've heard someone else say that it's like you just you're unlucky enough to be born into a very fascinating religion. Like people that are never Mormon are interested. So oh yeah, <laughs> there's there's that aspect of that question too. Yeah, what has been the worst part about changing your belief? Like going through oh, that man. traumatic experience. Like what sticks out to you is just being. I've always been a really emotional guy. Um, I have had pretty severe depression for a good chunk of my life. Um, the hardest part about changing the beliefs, I feel like for me, once everything came crashing down and, you know, the whole belief system was gone, um, I, I took work off one day and I just needed to go and deal with my feelings. And I just laid on the couch and was sobbing for a long time. And the thought that kept going through my mind is I felt so bad that I had served a mission and taught all of these beliefs to people that I no longer held. And so one of the first ideas that I had to grapple with after changing beliefs was um, granting myself forgiveness and being okay with the fact that even years prior to me changing my beliefs, I was a wholly different person than I am now. And loving that version of me and also forgiving that version of me. Yeah, that's really cool. when we went to a thrive, when mm-hmm. cool. uh, I can't think of her first name, Helfner, what's her first name? Natasha. Natasha. Yeah. And she did this little, um, she did a little uh, meditation and one and kind of took us through um, a narrative. And at one point our current self was looking back at our past self mm. and we were okay with each other. And I think that's actually really important because I think when you're a believer, you don't think much of people that leave. (laughs) And so that past self is probably not very happy with my current self. And my Mm -mm. current self was like embarrassed (laughs) by my past self. And it's just like a lot of tension there. And so when she went through that, I just like, I was bawling because I was like, oh my gosh. So that was, yeah, that was a pretty powerful moment because it's just being okay with where you're at and you do change a little, but you're also kind of the same person. That's one of the big mm. things. Like when I left, I just, I'm yeah. the same person. Like I'm still trying to be a good person. I'm yeah. still trying. 
I'll even use your language. I'm still trying to be like Christ. I'm trying to be the best sure. version of myself, you know? So anyway, mm -hmm. that was, yeah, that's cool. I had yeah. a similar moment and it was cool. just helped by Natasha. She helped me. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what would advice when you were going through that, like that worst part, like what advice oh, would man. you give your previous self <laughs> or what words of comfort? <laughs> you know, I, it was strange. One of the reasons, and maybe this isn't even answering your question, but I struggled with some pretty severe scrupulosity with trying to be as righteous and holy as I could. And I had some pretty bad internalized, um, uh, I had internalized some of the scriptures really uh, in a way that was unhealthy for me. As soon as I got rid of those beliefs, a lot of, not my whole, not all of my depression, but a lot of the unhealthy thought patterns completely vanished. Mm -hmm. So the advice that I would give to myself was, would be something along the lines of, um, you know, sit with your feelings, you know, it's hard right now. And it's okay to be in pain and it's okay to mourn the loss of your belief. And when you're done with that, your life will be so much better. Yeah. Oh, good. That's awesome. Um, what is something that you believe that may surprise your wife? I'll just say that. <laughs> That may surprise, you know, we have pretty great um, open conversations. We disagree on a lot of things. Okay. Um, how about just a traditional practicing Latter-day Saint though? Your wife is probably not that because she sure. has to be aware of you. you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we, um, I love her. She's great. She, we went through a lot of the deconstruction process together. We just landed um, in different places after mm -hmm. we had done a lot of the studying. Um, so something that would surprise I, we could just say my family or, you know, some of my close friends that are still active believing. Um, I, I don't believe there's a lot that I don't believe that I used to. Um, one of the, I mean, how, how, uh, how, how out there would you like me to go? Well, there's, there's two aspects of this question. I'm, you can take it where you want to go, but uh, I, I think I'll do a follow-up, but you can take it sure. wherever you want. So, I, I studied Buddhism for a while after deconstructing, not as a way to find a new religion, but just because um, I had, um, I'd read a little bit about it previously to me just deconstructing um, the mm -hmm. LDS faith. And there were some aspects that I thought were fascinating. So I studied it after deconstructing in a secular way. And one of the things, one of the, one of my favorite books is called Old Paths, White Clouds by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, early on in the book, he goes through this process of of describing the elements that make our bodies and how they go through these cycles where, you know, my body will decompose and then the earth will, you know, grow plants out of it. And those plants will become fruits or this or that. And then the animals will eat it. And, and the elements that make me who I am right now are eternal. And I don't, I don't believe I have an eternal soul, but I, I believe that, that not my mind, not this part up here or this, you know, invisible, aspect that's inside of us our, our reasoning mind but the rest of me will stay around forever and i think that's pretty cool not as you know this form as scott the podcast but just the elements that make up my body are part of this planet and it's constantly recycling these elements into life in really interesting ways that's cool 
uh, it reminds me of a, a piece in Richard Dawkins' book, and he was just like, you're not even made up of a lot of the same elements or pieces as when you were born. Like, so yeah. are you still you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, um, what's a surprising belief? I guess, like your family might assume that you're very like negative and antagonistic. Is there a belief <laughs> that would surprise them that uh, would be more like a, an olive branch, I guess? Like, is there a belief on that side that would surprise mm. them? Like, oh, Scott actually thinks this is good, you know? <laughs> you know, I have no idea what any of them think because we don't have conversations about this stuff. Mm. Um, in fact, and I've said this on numerous occasions, but none of them know that I do this podcast. So <laughs> who knows when they're going to find out? I'm not going to tell them, but, you know, maybe eventually they will. And this um, blows up on the Internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've had some pretty close hits. I've had some people reach out to me that were cousins that have found the podcast or that um, grew up with our family. That's well, yeah, you were on Mormon stories. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> and let's be honest, like a good chunk of your family is probably not practicing anymore. Yeah. Well, in my immediate family, I'm the only one that's out, both on my wife's side and my side. So it's funny. My my sister and my brother-in-law, who in my mind are the most devout of all of my immediate siblings, they're the ones that are most open and have like, good conversations with me about it, which hmm. I think is really cool. Yeah. Is there anything that you said as your beliefs were changing that you regret? Early on in my deconstruction process, I was pretty um, frustrated with some of the things that I was learning. And I regret the way I um, just emotionally vomited on my wife night after night after night. Mm -hmm. Um, She considered many of the things and we went through a lot of this together. But early on, um, it got to the point where she one night told me, hey, I can't talk about this stuff anymore because I just want to live my life. And so we stopped talking about it. I mean, we'll have conversations still, but it was, it was one of those things where I had to reassess the way I was um, internalizing some of the stuff that I was reading. And um, yeah, so that's, that's definitely something I regret. Um, It's how I would just vomit all of the things that I was learning onto her you know, I drive a fair amount for work. And so I'd listen to podcasts and audiobooks, and I'd come home and say, guess what I learned? Look how evil the church is because this or that. And she just wasn't having it. Hmm. Yeah. That reminds me. I, I had a best friend that I, she is a really good friend. So she was a really, she's always been a good listener. And, and I'm really glad at one point she just spoke up and she's like, I don't like this topic. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and, and I was glad she set that boundary because it, I wasn't even aware. I wasn't even aware. So mm. yeah, yeah, it's nice to have that wake up call a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've had similar moments too. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I didn't know how to word this question. So I guess, is there any part of you, I understand that you probably don't doubt you're not believing in the church. Like you believe what you believe, but is there any part of you that, doubts that you should still be like practicing as a Latter-day mm. Saint. Do, do you ever second guess? Um, do you ever second guess that at all? No, I don't second guess my decision to leave the church. And I don't second guess my decision to um, get rid of all of my belief in the Judeo-Christian God and Jesus and all that. 
I do sometimes second guess whether or not there is a God. Um, I don't think if there were one, I don't think she would look like anything that's been presented to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so if, if I would say, you know, that I do have a doubt, it's that I'm not, you know, I'm not leaning either, or I'm agnostic in, in my, um, approach to this. I, I don't know if there's a God or not, mm -hmm. but, uh, if there is, she's nothing like what we've been told. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess when I look at that, I feel like there is a possibility that religion is, um, and I'm gleaning this off of other people. Sure. But that just religion is something there. There's something in the way that you practice the religion that it matters, even though it's not like, literally true in our mm -hmm. scientific minded Western world, like Western, whatever yeah, like yeah. scientific world, but that's still important. And then I'm not passing that down to my kids. That's probably, it's not so much. I feel like mm -hmm. I've gotten the benefit from it. It's I'm worried that I'm not passing that tradition down or those yeah. basically unteachable, verbally unteachable things that are good and true or whatever you want to call it that you gain from those traditions and those rituals and yeah. just that, that I'm unable to pass that down without that. Anyway, that's, that's where my yeah. guessing comes in, I guess. I, yeah. When I first deconstructed and was leaving and stopped going, it was right around the time where my youngest was, uh, was blessed. And it's interesting. I, I wanted to be the one to bless her, even though I didn't believe in any of it. Because I saw it as a ritual of like introduction of saying, hey, this one is mine and this is our family. Um, it's kind of like a ritual introduction into the world of this newborn as a part of my social group. Mm -hmm. And so I saw it not as like, not in the same way that the church would teach it, but I saw value in the ritual of introduction, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the same thing with baptism. You know, I, I think not that I believe that there's any sort of, you know, sin that that child needs to be cleansed of, but as a coming of age ritual of you used to be a child. Now you're learning to be a young adult and it's like a threshold crossing. It's, it's uh, stepping away from being a little kid into learning how to be a bigger kid mm -hmm. and a young adult. So I see value in a lot of the rituals, not in the way that the church would teach it, but, um, from like a, a social or a cultural aspect, if you will. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you say for being a practicing Latter-day Saint, you're like, no, um, how sure are you on like a scale from zero to a hundred? How sure are you that you shouldn't be passing down this tradition to your kids? <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one. Um, it's a decision. I, I can't make this for other people. For me, I'm 100% sure. It did real harm to me mentally. Mm -hmm. And so I do not want to pass that harm to my children. Mm -hmm. And then learning that none of it was was true in the way that I was taught. Um, yeah, this is not a system that I want to teach my kids. Mm -hmm. And what, what would change your mind? 
some of the things that we mentioned earlier, um, real institutional change. I'm okay if people believe. I'm okay if if someone wants to be a devout member the rest of their life. But I don't feel comfortable with my kids in the institution. I've got two little girls. I don't want them to go every week, you know, and learn that their role is to be just a mother and raise kids the rest of their lives. I don't want them to go every week and see that men are the ones in the front leading. I want them to be, uh, I want them to have women, strong women to be role models and they don't get that in the church. And so I, I think there needs to be real change with the institution for me to feel comfortable with my kids there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did ask this question earlier. Um, already church net net positive net good you said locally it's a net good yeah how sure are you about that it's going to be on an individual basis i know people that have been significantly harmed from leaders or from some of the things that they were taught whether physically or emotionally and so it's tough to say i i i hesitate to say you know a hundred percent always positive I think it's going to be a case by case thing. Sure. Um, I know the institution tries really hard to do good, um, but they don't have a great track record. Right. So I think that there would be other podcasters like, uh, I think Bill Real, I think I might have asked him this question when I talked to him, and I think he was negative. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what would it take to change your mind that it's not net positive? You know, I. I know so many good people that participate and I know so many people that have gotten um, benefit from their participation within the LDS church and they love the institution. So I, I don't see it as a clear black and white. And so I don't feel like I could score it as a yes or a no. I think that there is good and bad. Mm-hmm. And I wish that all of the bad could be addressed and fixed mm-hmm. so that the people I love are in an institution that's healthy. Okay. Um, I didn't answer it. Sorry. No, like, <laughs> you can answer these however you want. And if I, I mean, if I'm on a different wavelength, that's just my fault. That's not yours. No, no, you're good. You're good. So um, yeah, generally what bugs you the most about the church or about the Latter-day Saint tradition? I think members of the church conflate their testimony with like capital T truth. And this really bothers me. Um, When someone comes to the table, you know, I know the church is true. I know the book of Mormon is true. So that they don't know it the way they're using the word wrong. They feel that the church is true. They've had, um, they believe they have faith that the church is true but it is not something that is a capital T truth. And I just really bothers me because if they, if a believer would make that like mental shift to, to look at it as yes, this is a belief. This is a faith and not like a verifiable um, quantifiable thing Then I think that they would be able to engage better with non-believers. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so This is a total side note, but I'm just going to mention the elephant in the room. So you do believe in capital T truth? This is like a philosophical thing Mm. here. (laughs) Because most, I I mean, go down all the way to the rabbit hole to Bill Real. There is no capital T truth. (laughs) 
Unless I'm no, I no, I typically don't believe in capital T truth. I think that if there is a capital T truth, it would be that our world and our perception of the universe is constantly changing. If there's going to be anything that's capital T, it's that. Interesting. It's that nothing is nothing is static. Everything is dynamic. Um, so it bothers you that they have a capital. They conflate it with capital T truth, yeah. but doesn't exist. Yeah. Or that they, they believe that capital T truth exists. Well, they believe that it exists, but it, it seems out of place with the world that we experience. So there is a capital T truth. I told you that if there is, it's that everything is changing. Hmm. I, I won't go down that rabbit hole. No, no. Okay. It was just interesting to hear you use that verbiage. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you about like post-Mormon world. What bugs you the most? Or what do you like most about? I skipped that one. What do you like most about the Latter-day Saint tradition? What About the Latter-day Saint tradition? I really like their emphasis on families. I really like... Um, I really like the emphasis. Yeah, I mean, honestly, centering a faith around a family, I think, is really great. And I think encouraging people to love those closest to us and, and try and maintain those bonds. I think that's, I think if there's anything that they're doing good, I think that's one of the things. Yeah, it's interesting. I just talked to an evangelical guy uh, my last interview or two interviews ago, and mm -hmm. he said that it seems great, but that's families are becoming an idol and you shouldn't, you shouldn't worship your family above God. It was just a fascinating mm. take. I was like, Ooh, yeah. I don't I think don't... that's one that's going to sell the Mormons. <laughs> I don't worship God either. So I think we're okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, so yeah, what generally bugs you the most about the post-Mormon world? I feel like post-Mormons, maybe like when they're newly deconstructing, they run out of this um, confidence in the LDS faith being true straight into confidence that it's not or straight into confidence that their new ideas are this capital T truth that we were just kind of going back and forth with. And I think people jump from one, one extreme all the way to the other right away. And I don't think either is great. Not, not saying that the criticisms that post Mormons have against the church aren't valid mm -hmm. but they immediately jump to oh you know since we they they almost have the exact same staunch um treatment of anyone who disagrees with them that believers do mm. where a believer you know would scoff at a non-believer for doing this and that or you know holding these ideas that are crazy but then the same person deconstructs leaves the faith and says oh my goodness how can a believer hold those views because they're just ridiculous mm -hmm. they're holding the exact same view of each other just not really making mm -hmm. that connection just flip-flop right yeah. I, i've noticed the same thing and I've, I've kind of uh i wouldn't i wouldn't pose that to any group i feel like there's that personality in every belief system is probably what's going on and this if you had that personality when you were believing, you might still have mm -hmm. that personality now. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. <clears throat> um, generally, what do you like most about the post-Mormon world? Everyone that I've interacted with in the post-Mormon community has been very accepting and kind of people from all walks of life. And I really think that's pretty neat. Yeah. I can even attest uh, my little ex-Mormon group that I've found, they all know I'm conservative and they still like me, <laughs> which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. 
so yeah um yeah so i think you kind of what, what do you believe now that's always a question that latter-day saints have to know they want to know what your positive beliefs are like they can't fathom mm. not having mormonism because without something else so anyway how do you respond to that question i believe my kids are really cool and i love playing with them i believe my wife is great and i love our life together and i believe i should be a good person to everybody else too so that's nothing. it that's all i get <laughs> no if no, that's great. i'm not confident enough in anything else mm -hmm. to say that i believe in it mm-hmm yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I just, I have to ask. Just, I don't sure. know. Yeah. It's one of those questions that it's always burning. <clears throat> um, yeah. So go ahead. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Anything else that... Um... I mean, I'm an open book. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've said a lot of different things. <laughs> so No topic came up that you're like, hmm, this would be fun to talk about. That's fine. Uh, what's the easiest way for people to find you? Uh, my podcast, Ramiumptum Ruminations. I've also got Ramiumptum Ruminations at gmail.com. I've got a Facebook page. I don't do Twitter or Instagram or any of those. I, I do, I lurk on TikTok. So some people have found my TikTok account and they've reached out to me there, but I don't usually post over there. Okay. And uh, do you have like a favorite episode that you would want to point people toward or something that you're most proud of? Yeah, I've got some of my early ones I'm really proud of. Um, probably the most, the, the episodes that are most listened to of mine are probably 58 or pardon me, 56 to 58. That was when I interviewed Brian Harris. Um, he worked for, uh, he worked at ch church headquarters conducting surveys for the church. Um, so those are probably the most listened to episodes. One of my, one of my favorites is I discussed the, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. So, uh, sorry. Um, one of my favorite episodes, oh, I discussed the Russian nobleman thought experiment. It's basically a guy um, makes a promise early on in his life and then slowly changes his worldview. And now later on in his life, he's kind of a different person, thinks of the world differently. Should he still be obligated to keep this promise he made as a kid, even though he disagrees with that promise as an adult? And I think it's a great thought experiment for people to um, think about their relationship with the church, making a promise to be a member as an eight-year-old child and now as a 30-year-old adult or 50-year-old, whatever, you know, 17-year-old, whatever the time time skip you want to put in there. You made this promise as an eight-year-old to be a Mormon for the rest of your life. And then as an adult, you realize maybe that's not the right call. Should you be held accountable for a promise you made earlier in your life if you disagree with it now? And I think it's a great thing to think about. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes. I'd have to look up the number. I, I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, with that, I, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks and, for having me on, Marty. And hopefully people can find you. And Yep. Yeah. Cool. Great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for sticking around to listen to the full episode today. I hope that you enjoyed another episode of, of me on the other on the other side of the microphone being the uh, the interviewee instead of the interviewer. I want to give a big thanks to Marty. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. Thanks for 
coming up with such great questions and having such a fun discussion with me. This episode was a blast to produce with you. So thank you so much for putting this on. As I said at the outset, if you're not already following Marty, please go and subscribe to the Where Will You Go podcast. Support her in the work that she's doing over there. And wherever you find yourself out there, heading off to the pumpkin patch with the family for some, some fall festivities. I hope that you have an excellent day. <laughs>